It's a good way to start the morning, isn't it? Man, that's good. I don't know about you, but I, I want to I just destroy something from the beginning. And I just was slammed with this thought just seconds ago. And I hope that you hear this. I hope that you're not offended by this. But I want you to know that God and church and this life with Christ was not meant for us to stand and just politely just be little church mice. We've been taught in this country that it's kind of important to be honor and respectful and let's come in and let's do this thing and be this way. And I just want to say that in a few hours, um, I know what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be cheering for two teams that really I don't care a whole lot about, to be honest. (laughs) We've got a Rams fan here, so we're good. I'm cheering for the Rams because I cheer for whoever plays the Patriots, just so you know. (laughs) But I'm going to get up, and I'm going to get excited, and I'm going to cheer. I'm going to cheer for good plays, and I'm going to cheer for things that happen, and I'm going to get excited. And you guys probably will too, some of you. Some of you could care less. You just want food and fellowship. (laughs) That's why you're going. But I hope and pray for a group of people who follow Christ so passionately that when we sing and when we talk and when we live, that we live passionately and that we're not so stinking polite little church mice. You hear me? Because God is so much bigger than everything else that we get excited and cheer about. Do you hear me? So much better than any Super Bowl, any football team, any hobby that you have, Choose it, pick it, whatever you think is awesome about yourself and about what you do, God is better. Amen. There you go. Thank you. And so I don't want a church where we just hang out and we're nice and politely just sitting here and going, mm, God is so good. Let's sing. Let's praise God. Let's be passionate about who God is and who he is in our life. And let's show people what it means to be passionate about something that is the most important in this world. Amen? Amen. All right. (laughs) That was not written down. (laughs) (laughs) We all have tendencies. And I have my own tendencies. And uh, one of my tendencies is that uh, when I'm on traveling on a long trip, when I'm driving in my vehicle, I love to do two things, especially on long trips. I like to see how fast we can get to where we're going. I want to make the best time possible, right? Because the first question you get to somewhere is like, how long did it take? How was the trip? And I'll be like, oh man, we did it in eight and a half hours. It should have taken nine, but I did it in eight and a half, right? And I don't know about you, if some of you like could care less, like that does not matter to you. But for me, like that matters. I love that kind of thing. The second thing that I love to do on a long trip is I like to see how good I can get our gas efficiency. And so what I tend to do is I tend to run our gas tank down as close as I can to empty sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes because I just like to test the limits of our vehicle, right? And maybe of our, my marriage too, <laughs> a little bit. But I did this a few summers ago. We were traveling through South Dakota, and South Dakota is different than anywhere else in the country, a lot of places in the country, in that you can't just kind of hope that there's a gas station and somewhere to eat all the time, right? I mean, there could be an hour or two between one stop to the next stop. I kid you not. That's normal. 
I grew up there. I lived there as a kid. And so I know this, like to travel two hours is nothing. Like that's just what you do. And so we were traveling east, headed back to, to come back to Wisconsin, to our home uh, from South Dakota. And, and we were almost to South, uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We're about an hour away. And I realized, you know, I'm looking at the gas efficiency. I'm like, you know, there's a couple of stops coming up, but then it's going to be another probably 45 minutes before we see anything, before we get to Sioux Falls, which is a pretty good sized town. And so I'm, I'm looking at the gas. I'm looking at the level, what it says. I'm like, yeah, I think we can do this. I think we can do this, Right. And so I'm traveling along, we're going and everything, and everything's good, but the other, other thing about South Dakota is it's very windy there, very windy. And we've been fine because the wind has been coming out of the north, and we're headed east, and so it's been kind of blowing against the side of our van. In fact, I've been fighting it all day, right? And so we're fighting against this wind, but all of a sudden the wind shifts from the northeast more, and so it's blowing into us. Well, I hadn't factored that into our gas mileage, that we're going into a headwind now. And so uh, at this point, we're about half an hour away. We're about 30 miles, something like that. And our little gauge, you know how it does. Like you used to have to actually watch the gauge. Now it just tells you how many miles, right? And so I know we're about 30 miles from Sioux Falls and it says you've got 30 miles to empty. <laughs> the other problem is I'm also driving into the wind, which means a mile is not a mile on my gas tank anymore. And so I'm doing the math and I'm not that great at math, but I'm well enough to know this could be an issue. And so in the midst of that half an hour, Laura wakes up from her third or fourth nap. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> she likes to sleep on long trips. My tendency is to do the gas efficiency. Her tendency is to sleep, right? And so she wakes up and she notices the gas tank issue. And so all of a sudden, the tension, the level of stress in our van rises, right? You guys in, that are married, you understand how this works. And so the tension is there and like, Brent, why did you do that? Did we pass some gas stations back there? Well, yeah, but I thought we could probably make it. Right now our family's going to be stranded in South Dakota. All well, all that to say, I'll get, make the story short. Thankfully, we get to the exit at Sioux Falls, right? And when we hit the exit ramp, I kid you not, our little thing says zero miles to go for empty. And I'm just, I'm just praying. I, really, I'm like, Lord, please, I know I'm an idiot. I'm serious. Like, I don't know if that was the exact words, but it was close. It was really close. Lord, I know I should not have done this. And so we're on the, and, and the Sioux Falls, there's a couple of these types of exits where, you know, you have the blue sign. It has all the gas signs and all the food places. Well, this is where you get off on the exit, and it's like two miles to get to this. I kid you not. And you have to go south like two miles to get to the first gas station. I'm like, oh, no, you've got to be kidding me. This is that exit. Well, we pull, we, we actually were able to pull into the gas station. I kid you not, it had sputtered a couple of times. But we got to the gas pump. And there, I, I, I mean, my, the feeling when I went, and started spraying that, I was like, oh, Lord, you are awesome. <laughs> you saved our marriage. Way to go. I mean, it was just, it was just crazy. It was just crazy. But I tell that story to say that today we're going to talk about how to refill or refuel your soul. And I'll be honest, you're going to have a tendency today to want to think that this message, because it's probably not as an emotionally charged one, it's maybe not as an, an intense as one, but it might be one, if not the most important one for you to hear. Because it's one that we're just not good at. We're just not good at this one. I'm not good at this one. But it's so necessary. 
So today we're going to continue our series, Under the Surface. We've been talking about the soul. And we've been talking about all the things that the soul is, right? And so I want to review. We've, we've kind of given you this circle diagram to describe what the soul is. Everybody has a soul, but everybody also has these other three things. We all have a will. That's your heart. Those are your intentions. Those are your desires. It's what you want to do. Then you have a mind. You have the mind that logically works out how you're going to achieve those things that you want to do, your intentions, your heart behind it, your desires. So everybody has a will, everybody has a mind, and everybody has a body, right? The body is how we carry out what we want to do. It's physically, you, if you think about it, you can't do anything without a body, right? You could think about things and you could want to do things, but you can't do anything without the body. Okay, so we have a will, everybody has a will, everybody has a mind, everybody has a body. But then what we forget is that everybody is encompassed and integrated all together with this thing called the soul. The soul is the real you. It's who God made you to be, regardless of how you view yourself. It's the real you. The soul encompasses and integrates everything together. And so today, I want to talk about how to fill the soul, because the filling of the soul is what will fill your body and fill your mind and fill your will and keep those energized not the other way around. And so I want to talk about how to refill the soul. Now, I just told you that story, right? And, and, and the gauge, and, and I could look at the van, and I could tell you exactly how many miles we had to go before we're going to run out of gas. Now, whether I listened to it or not <laughs> is a different matter. But I could tell the gauge was obvious. Now, in the same thing, those, those circles are the same way, right? In your body, you know when you're tired, don't you? You guys know when you're tired. Your gauge tells you when you're tired. So if you stayed up late or if, if all, all that kind of stuff, you know when you're tired. When you're working hard, you know when your legs, if you're running a marathon, you know your body is telling you you're tired. Some of you, your body is telling you right now you're hungry. Sometimes, some of you, your body tells you you're hungry all the time. That's how my body is. I don't know if yours is that way. My body says you're hungry all the time, even when I probably shouldn't be. It says you're hungry. You should go grab some more chips or a cookie or something. Our body has gauge, and it's easy to read. Our mind is a little bit more subtle of a gauge, isn't it? Our mind, though, tells us we're tired when we stop wanting to concentrate and focus on something. Have you ever noticed that? When you're like, I'm tired of looking at the screen. I'm tired of trying to write this paper. I'm tired of, tired of trying to work on this project for work. I, you just, you mentally kind of check out. All of a sudden, you're thinking about other things. That's your mind. It's the gauge telling you you're tired. You're mentally fatigued. Now, the will is a harder one. This is where you make your choices. These are your decisions, your desires. But that gets tired. But that's a harder gauge to know, isn't it? It's hard to, when, when do I know that I'm tired of making decisions? That's a harder one to, to gauge. And then the hardest one is the soul. The soul is a hard gauge. How many of you would say, I know exactly where my soul gauge is right now? Eh, you probably thought, I've never even thought about it, let alone know where it's at. Yeah. Because it's not one of those things that's so obvious. And so today, I want to talk about gauges. I want to talk about how to refill your soul. Well, to do that, I want to look at the perfect example of filling your soul. And when I say the perfect example, you know exactly who we're going to. Because the perfect example for literally everything is Jesus. And so I want to read a story about Jesus. And to be honest, we could pick tons of stories out of God's word that are mentioned in here about Jesus and how he rested and how he filled his soul and how that rest for his soul really just filled who he was and who he is. But I want to choose a story. I chose a story 
that is probably not the likely story that you would choose when you're talking about rest for your soul. I want to talk about the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. So I want to read it, and then we're going to examine it a little closer. So Matthew chapter 4, starting with verse 1, and this is right after Jesus gets baptized. I want you to know that. That's kind of important context. Jesus gets baptized. He has this amazing moment with God where God looks down. And he says, this is my son with whom I am most or well pleased. That's just happened. This happens right after that. Okay, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted, which means he gave up food. And he became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, by the way, the devil gets into a memorization match of the God's word with Jesus. Not a good idea by him. Anyway, <laughs> that's what he does. The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. So in this story, we learn three things that I think are really important about your soul and about our ability to refill it through rest and how we need to rest. The first one is we need to change the pace. We need to change the pace. We've got to change how we do life. I want us to understand when Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, it was not so Jesus could get more things done. Right? It was not so Jesus could knock out another 27 emails. Right? Jesus was not like, Jesus, we're going to send you into the desert so you can get some more emails happening. Right? He, the, Jesus was not led into the desert so he could work better on, on some projects that he needed to get done. He, did not, he was not led into the desert so that the house could be cleaned. Right? He was not led into the desert so that he could be more productive as to whatever he needed to do. He went into the wilderness, into the desert, so that he could slow his pace down. And I think sometimes we miss that. In the book, Soul Keeping, as you guys know, we've been using the book Soul Keeping for a lot of our content, a lot of our ideas for this series. And in that book, the author, who's John Ortberg, is talking about his mentor, Dallas Willard. And he quotes him and, uh, as saying this about one of the best ways to refill your soul. This is huge. Listen to what Dallas Willard says. He says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I want you to notice he says ruthlessly. You know why he says ruthlessly? I could put in the word violently, vehemently, intentionally. 
eliminate hurry from your life. You know why he says it so strongly? Because we have a horrible time trying to do that. I don't know about you, but this world says, hurry up, get going. I t- the, the amount of, I cringe every time I tell my kids to do that because I know I'm putting this world into them. But we need to eliminate hurry. And then John Ortberg goes on to describe his mentor, this, this guy named Dallas Willard, and listen to what he says about him. He says, I got the clear impression that Dallas Willard was not working hard at being patient. It was as though impatience and worry were just not a part of him at all. And then John says this about himself. He says in the book, he says, I want to know that kind of life. I want to know that kind of life. If we were honest, I think we all do. Don't we? Really? We want that kind of life where impatience and hurry is just not a part of us. As you know, we all get fatigued. I kind of mentioned this. We have different fatigues that happen for different parts of us. In your body, if you don't get enough sleep at night or if you eat tons of, you know, a whole thing of Pringles the night before, right, before you don't go to bed and then you don't exercise and then you work your tail off for like 12, 13 hours the next day and then you come home and and then we have to make dinner and we have to do all that stuff. At some point, your body's going to go, you need to stop, right? You're going to feel it. It's going to be obvious, mentally we get fatigued when we have to focus on. Now, I don't know about you, but I look at this thing like a thousand times per day. Probably more. I'm probably low. And I'll bet you guys do too. Anytime this thing, you know what this thing does? It goes, oh, somebody wants, needs something. Let's check. Maybe I got a like on Facebook. Oh, Pinterest, that is amazing. I'm going to make that right now. We all know how that's going to turn out. It's going to look just like it does on Pinterest, we all know. Right? And we're bombarded by screens. We're bombarded by news. We're bombarded by this, that, and the other. This cause you need to join. You need to donate to this. You need to give to this. You need to go to this. You need to have this. You need to get this new thing. You need to get to the store right now. 50% off, blah, 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 blah. And we're pounded in our minds. We don't realize, but our minds are exhausted from all the stuff that we're just hitting us constantly. And we get fatigued mentally. And our wills, oh my goodness, our choices. You know how many decisions you make per day? In fact, let me just show you a picture. This is a picture of an American food aisle with the cereal boxes. Just that alone. I mean, you walk into a grocery store in the United States and we have an entire aisle only dedicated to one aspect of one meal. We're not talking about like eggs and bacon and all the other stuff. We're talking about this is just one part of what you could do for one meal. And that is an entire aisle. You know, people come to the United States and they're overwhelmed because they're like, I don't even know how to, I don't even know what to do. And us, it's become expectation, but you know what that does? It wears our will down. Because we are constantly having to look at these kinds of things and saying, okay, what clothes should I wear to make the best impression? Right? What car should I get that's going to last the longest, that's going to be the best? Look at all the car commercials. What do they say? Which one has beat the other one for the most reliable? 
How many of you have seen the commercial, right? Let's get everybody there and then let's reveal them. Yeah, no, no, not that one. Yeah, that one? No, not that one. No, this is the one. This is the most reliable. You need to go get it right now, right? And, and, and we have to choose all these things. Uh, have you ever been to the Cheesecake Factory? Have you ever been there? Have you ever seen their menu, right? It's like, it's, it's ridiculous is what it is, right? You go and I'm like, I, I, I need an hour to figure out what I'm going to eat. All right, that menu is unbelievably huge. You've never been there? Just try it sometime. Just try to order something. You're, you're done. <laughs> Let me just tell you. The, the menu is unbelievably thick. Our wills get so fatigued and tired from the constant decisions that we have to make. And so you know what happens? All of those things combine and they fatigue and they tire out our soul. And they push us further from God because it's not how God designed us to be. He didn't design us to have to take in information constantly and to make these decisions constantly and have to worry about what everybody thinks about my attire that day constantly. He didn't create us that way. He created us to rest in him and to know the purpose and the value from him. So we need to rest in our soul. And the only way to do that is to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Now, I'm, I, I, I want to just tag off something, just a little bunny trail here. Busyness and hurry are two different things. Okay? You can have a full schedule. I don't know about you, but I work my tail off because God needs me to, and he wants me to, and he's called me to, and I want to. So having a full calendar is not necessarily wrong. It's what you're filling it with. You hear me on that? What are you filling your calendar with? That's what matters. It's not that Jesus is saying, don't ever be busy, don't ever fill your calendar. What God is saying is, what are you filling it with? And in that midst, in the calendar, there's got to be some times where you actually rest for your soul. And just so you know, couch time for the TV is not soul rest. Playing a game on your phone, I like to do that sometimes. Not rest for your soul. Okay? Not rest for your soul. As good as that might be for you physically or mentally or whatever, in fact, I would debate on the mental side of it. But we need time where we set it aside just for soul rest. You and I, we need rest. So the first one we can learn from Jesus is change the pace. Second thing that we learn from Jesus is that no matters. This is another hard one for us, guys. I told you, this is not going to seem like an important one to you, but they, all three of these things are so important because we are so bad at it. <laughs> We're just so bad at this. No matters. Look at what Jesus says to Satan when he tempts him. All three times, listen to what he says. Verse four, Satan has just said, hey, make these stones to become loaves of bread. Remember that? This is what Jesus says. But Jesus told him, no. <laughs> Love that. Just outright, right out of the gate, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse seven, Satan says, jump off. The angels will lift you up. Jesus says, or responds, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. He says, no. He didn't say the word no, but he says no. Then verse 10, Remember, he takes him to the top of the mountain. Satan says, hey, I'm going to give you all the kingdoms of the world. Listen to what he says. He says, get out of here, Satan. I love that, by the way. I just see Jesus just hollering at Satan. Get out of here. You have no place here. 
We prayed that this morning, guys, didn't we? Those of you that were in the circle this morning, we prayed for anything that was here that was against Jesus to get out, to leave us alone. We do this too. Jesus says, get out of here. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, let me tell you what Jesus has just done. Jesus has just said no so that he can say yes to something far better and greater. You hear me? It's important. He has just said no to something in order to say yes to something much bigger and greater. And here's what we tend to do. We tend to say yes to everything or most things, and therefore we're saying no to the greatest things. And what Jesus is, he's exemplifying this for us. He's saying no to the, these things so that he can say yes to far greater and far better. But we have such a hard time saying no. And what we need to do is we need to allow God to force us to shut down. Did you know that God will do that if you allow him to? He will force you. In fact, did you know that some people, sometimes when things come into their life that they did not want, sometimes I believe that that might be God allowing that so that they realize they were in a really unhealthy place. It's God showing them you need to shut it down. You have to find rest for your soul. In fact, he says this in Psalm 23. This is one of those most famous passages. We probably, some of us have them in frames on our house. Uh, You've probably heard this quoted many times. This is quoted in movies all the time. But these are the first three verses. We don't always hear these. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes or he restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Did you notice what it says? It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down. That's not like a, you know, if you'd like to lay, there's some grass over here. Nice green meadows. Would you like to lay down? No, Jesus is like, lay down. (laughs) Seriously, lay down. Stop. And we, we don't always see this picture of God that he would make us do something. But in this case, it says he makes you lie down in green pastures. And, and I, when I was thinking about this, this is kind of like with my children. They never want to go to bed. Are your children the same? I'm just curious. They never want to go to bed. They don't want to go to sleep. They don't like bedtime. And so what they want is they don't want to say no to whatever we're doing, right? They, want to, they always ask, Dad, Mom, just one more, just one more time, right? We could be playing Uno, and like we've played like 17 rounds, and they're like, just one more round? Can we play one more game? Like, we've been playing for an hour, and the, nothing has changed. We're still going around. We're still doing that. You're still laying four cards on me to draw four wilds, right? I'm still losing. No, you're going to bed, right? Just so dad can have a break from losing, right? Or we're doing Legos or we're watching a movie and they want to watch another movie. They want to watch another TV show. They don't want to say no because they know if they say no, they're going to have to go to bed. They're going to have to rest. But what do mom and dad do? We do what you guys do. We turn it off, we put the cards away, the Legos go away, we put them back in the bins, and we say, it's time for bed. Why do we do that? Because we're mean? No, because it's best for them. Isn't it? I don't have to spend all the time, I could cite article after article about what happens to children when they don't get enough sleep. Emotionally, physically, educationally, 
relationally, socially, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, again and again and again. I'm serious. Look at all the articles. You'll find thousands of the damage that you're doing if you just let your kids stay up for however long they want. Some parents do that. Doing great damage. And this is just one of those things where Jesus says, you need to lay down. Just like my kids, you have to lay down. If we don't make them lay down, they're not going to. Let me ask you, how are you doing at resting and laying down your soul? When was the last time you put your soul to bed, so to speak? Seriously. I'm not saying the last time you sat down and watched TV, the last time you watched football, the last time you did a hobby, whatever. I'm saying when was the last time you spent some time solely for the only purpose of, of revitalizing, refilling your soul. That was your only purpose in it. That's like bedtime for your soul. You need that. You've got to slow down. There's a, an educator named Thomas Kelly who said this about our lives. And he's from the early 20th century, but man, he just nails it. In fact, I thought he nailed it so well, I put it up on the screen for you so you can read this so you can kind of catch these, these words in your, in your eyes. This is what he says. He says, we feel honestly the pull <clears throat> of many obligations and try to fulfill them all. Isn't that true? I know I do. I really feel a lot of pressure to, to perform and to, to not let people down all the time, especially as a pastor. I feel that all the time. I'll bet you do too in your various areas. And we are unhappy, uneasy, strained, oppressed, and fearful we will be shallow. Anybody worried that they're going to maybe be a little more shallow than they should be? I worry about that sometimes. We have hints that there is a way of life vastly richer and deeper than all this hurried existence. A life of unhurried serenity and peace and power. If only we could slip over into that center. Remember last week we talked about how your soul needs a center. It needs an anchor point. That's what it's talking about. We have seen and known some people who have found this deep center of living where the fretful calls of life are integrated, where no as well as yes can be said with confidence. Let me just ask you a question. When I read that, when I read that, did your soul just kind of ache a little bit? Did it long for what he just talked about? Where you can confidently say no to things without fear of worrying them or making them feel offended or whatever the case is. Where you just, you are secure and you know who God is and who God made you to be and you're good with it. Does your soul long for that? Mine does. All right, one more point. So we need to change the pace we need to know that no matters. And then the third one is that our identity and significance comes from God. Did you notice very specifically how Satan attacks Jesus? Did you notice? There are two key things that Satan does to Jesus in order to try to trip him up. And by the way, just so you know, the way that he attacks Jesus is how he attacks you. The exact same way. No, he probably hasn't told you to turn stones into bread. He hasn't done that to me either. Because I'm not tempted. I'm like, uh, I don't know how to do that. Right? 
So he's not going to tempt you and I that way, but he's going to tempt us in the same way that he tempts Jesus. And I want you to notice what he does. Look at verse 3. Listen to what he says to Jesus. He says, if you are the Son of God. Did you notice what word he starts with? If. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Look at verse 6. He says the exact same thing, just changes what he tells him to do. If you are the Son of God, jump off. He uses that word if because here's what Satan is doing. Satan is calling into question who Jesus is. Do you notice that? He is calling out Jesus' identity. He's, he's saying, if you are the son of God, prove it. I need you to do something. I need you to earn it. I need you to show me that you're worthy of what you say you're worthy of. I need you to prove to me by working hard. I need you to prove to me by being effective. I need you to prove to me by doing something amazing in your life because you are not worthy until you do something. Do you notice that? Satan calls into question your identity and then he says, I need you to prove it to me by doing something. And what does Jesus say to him? We already talked about that. He says, no. Get away from me. This is what God's word says. And this is the same thing that Satan does to you and I. He calls into question your identity. He says, if you are, I don't believe that you're a son of the king. I don't believe you're a daughter of the king. I don't believe that you know Jesus or that you even believe in Jesus. I don't think you do. So I need you to prove it to me. That's what he says. And so we try to prove ourselves every day. You realize this, right? That one of the reasons we work so hard and we spin our wheels so much and we spend so much time and energy chasing our own tails and chasing after that next thing and chasing after that next boss and chasing after that next job and chasing after that next paycheck and chasing after the, 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 the encouragement of our spouse and chasing after the encouragement of our children and chasing after the encouragement of that popular person that you think has it all together because they always have it all together and I would just like to be them and I like to have their house and I... And we chase and we chase and we chase and we chase and we go after it and we want this and we do this and we try to prove that we're worthy. Don't tell me that you don't do this because you're human and human beings, we like to prove ourselves. And I do it too. I know I do. And Jesus invites us to something much better than that. He invites you and I into a space, into a situation, into experience where he says, your worth doesn't need to come from what you do. It comes from who you are. And I'll be honest, I say that phrase, your worth comes from not what you do, but from who you are. And a lot of you probably don't believe that. You think it sounds good. Like, whoa. Some of you even thought, wow, that's, that's good. That's good. Man, that'll, that'll preach. That's good. Some of you thought that. Some of you thought, that's just dumb. <laughs> that's okay. But some of you don't believe it. Some of you believe that you have to perform well, that you have to work your tail off, that you're providing for your family or, or, or living up to your boss's expectations or whatever the case is, that's your goal in life. Like, that's what gives you worth. 
And I'm here to tell you that your job and your career and your paycheck and living up to your boss's expectations or your spouse's expectations, your kid's expectations, that's not your worth. It never has been and never will be. Living up to God, which by the way, you'll never do because he's perfect. But shooting for that goal is all you need to worry about. And if you will rest in your identity and understand who God made you to be and just allow that to give you your worth, then you're going to find peace and power and rest. Not just for your body, not just for your mind, not just for your will, but for your soul. And maybe you've experienced that, maybe you haven't. I've experienced the unbelievable peace when God just settles in and he, and he knows you're just there to understand who God made me to be. And when you are secure enough and have surrendered yourself enough to rest in who God made you to be, whew, everything else just drifts away and becomes okay, even if it's not okay. And we know Jesus lived this way. We know because of how he lived his life. In fact, I want to finish up here with a list, a list of things that Jesus does in his life that tells you exactly what you need to do in order to refill your soul. I am giving you everything you need based on Jesus that you can have a soul that's filled by God. It's very simple. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but it's simple. And remember, at the end of this series, which is coming up in four or five weeks, I've started to kind of figure that out now. You guys know I left this open-ended, didn't you? God's starting to kind of show me. But in four to five weeks, when we end this, we're going to have a huge Sunday. And I'm going to put some commitments before you. And I pray and hope that most of you make them. I've been making them myself, struggling through them already. But I pray that you're going to step up and, and, and just be willing to take on those, those commitments that God is calling you. But let me just throw some of these out that you can kind of start thinking about. First thing that Jesus does all the time, and by the way, he does these regularly and he does them often. This is really important, that you don't just do these every now and then. This is not a Sunday thing, okay? It's not a Sunday thing. He does this every day. He does this often. He does this weekly regularly and often. That's the key, okay? First thing is he prayed. He talked to God and he listened to God all the time, all the time, throughout the day, spent times away doing that, all the time. Second thing, he had a close circle of friends. We don't, we kind of minimize this in the Bible, but Jesus had the 12 disciples, but then he also was very good friends with Martha and Mary and, and Lazarus, and there were a whole bunch of other people he was really, really close to, people that he invested in and spent time with and poured himself into, but who also poured themselves into Jesus. Jesus hung out with people. We sometimes think like Jesus walked around as like, ah, all the time, like halos and just passing out halos. And that's all he ever did. He only preached and, and prayed, and that's all he ever did. He never watched the Super Bowl. He never did, made an email. All the, well, he technically didn't because they didn't have emails back then, but you get it. right? Jesus hung out with people. He had close friends. Why? Because it filled his soul, and it filled their soul. 
regular corporate public worship at the synagogue. He was in church all the time. He's in church all the time. He would worship publicly with his community of faith, with his community of believers. He knew how important that was for his soul, for other souls. Scripture, he read it, he memorized it, he knew it, he lived by it. Man, I don't, I don't need to say any more about that. Scripture, read it, right? Read it, learn it, memorize it, live by it. Simple. He enjoyed God's creation. Half the stories that, God, that, that Jesus tells are about like vines and trees and all this stuff. How do you think he knows all that? And why do you think that was on his mind? Because he hung out there all the time. He was outside all the time, enjoying God's creation. Solitude. Oh, man. I wish I could spend a whole message on this one. You guys, let me just say this. There were a lot of times where Jesus just got away from the disciples from every person on the planet. He was by himself, him and God the Father, just him and God. If you have never done this, where it's just you and God, alone with your thoughts, and God is speaking into you, you have to do it. Absolutely have to. In fact, I contend that it would be very difficult for you to have a real relationship with God without this. I'll be honest. That's the truth. That's how strongly I feel about this. You need to find times of solitude where kids are not around, TV's not around, music's not around. You're like, well, that seems kind of impossible. <laughs> well, you got to figure it out. Even if you say to your spouse or bring a friend over if you're a single parent and you say, hey, can you have the kids for like half an hour? I'm just going to be gone and I'm going to be, I'm not going to take my phone. I'm, I'm just going to, it's solitude, me and God. Next thing, he welcomed children and blessed them and invested in them. Uh, let me just tell you this. You guys know this already. Children have something that we lose, don't they? They have a view of God in the world that we know is right, and we lose it as we grow up. Because people hurt us, and we get skeptical, and we realize the real world stinks. And kids have this great view of the world where they see, okay, God's still good, God still loves me and all this stuff. And they have this unbelievable view where they enjoy moments of life and you and I, then we grow up and we're like, well, we know better. Really? We know better? I don't think so. I think we know less as we grow up, actually. In fact, as I learn things, I realize how much I don't know. And then the last thing, Jesus spent time with non-religious types. <laughs> it's not to say he hung out and got wasted with them. He didn't. That's what a lot of people think. Like, oh, he spent time with the tax collectors and the sinners. And all that stuff. Yes, he did, but he wasn't doing what they did. You know what happened to the people when he hung out with them? They changed and they gave their lives to Jesus. <laughs> but he spent time with them. Why? Because it filled Jesus' soul and it changed the souls of the people around him. You need to do that too. Remember the story that we started with, the gas tank? Me and my crazy decision in South Dakota. After I filled up that tank, I mean, the, the, all the, the, the time in that van was unbelievably anxious and stressful and all this stuff. It was just awful. And then when I filled the tank up, you know how you feel when your tank is full? When your gas tank's full and you look at it and it's at the F, you're like, all is right in life. Why is that? Isn't that weird? Like you get in there and you turn it on and it goes, 
and you go, yeah. Do you, the rest of you feel that way? I feel that way. It's like life is good now. Everything else could be falling apart. Like the, oh, the earth could be opening up an earthquake and I'm just like, ah, oh, the gaze tank's full. Right? And that's, and that's what it is. And this is what I want you to experience spiritually. That's just a tiny glimpse of what I would like you to experience spiritually in your soul. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus is talking with his disciples. He says this, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. You and I, we need to stop looking to the world to give us our peace and our purpose and our power. We need to look to the only source that can give us the greatest purpose and power that there is, and that is Jesus. So I'll just leave you with this question. How is your soul? Have you given it rest recently? At all? Because if you haven't, the anger, the bitterness, the frustration, the fear, the doubt, the longing for something greater, none of that will go away until you actually allow your soul to rest in God and who he's made you to be and let that be enough. So how's your soul? Let's pray.